Shalom Chaverim, and welcome. Tonight is the evening before Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the month of Av. It is a Jewish holiday. It is a national day of mourning. The, the fast, there is a 24-hour fast, and it begins at 8.30. So <clears throat> I'm only going to be on until 8.15 to give myself time to prepare and do a couple of things before the fast begins. Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, which begins at sundown, observes, remembers the destruction of the first temple and the second temple, as well as other events that happened in Jewish history. It's a, a day of mourning for all the tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people. It also reminds us that evil does exist. Evil is in the world. Whether it's individuals making choices, governments making choices, doesn't matter. Evil exists. And so Tisha B'Av, a national day of mourning, observes not only the, the destruction of the first and second temple and other events in Jewish history, it's also a time for us to reflect to remember, to take a look at other tragedies that have befallen other people. It would be kind of a waste if this one national day of mourning only centered on bad things that happened to the Jewish people. It's more bad things have happened to lots of people. And we don't want these events to go by unmarked. And so that's the holiday of Tisha B'Av. And we'll be ending, like I said, at 8.15. Then next Wednesday, we'll go from 8 to 8.30. So enough said about Tisha B'Av. And I want to see if there are any, any questions this evening. I do support Israel. I'm not happy with Israeli politics. I'm not happy with the way Israel has chosen to treat the Palestinian people. I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied, and I don't agree with what the settlements. I believe in a two-state solution, and we can say whatever we want about the history of who was there first or who was there the longest. All that needs to be put aside, and we need to address the security of the state of Israel and a Palestine. However, I haven't been asked to come in and help negotiate. So all I can do is tell you my feelings and what I tell people. I tell people that two states, a country of Palestine and a country of Israel, both living within secure borders, not sending missiles on top of each other. Okay. That's that's it. Yep, and Israel has a right to live in peace, as does the Ukraine has a right to live in peace. And it's up to us, I guess, 
as Jews, as Christians, as Americans, uh, to vote for certain individuals, to not vote for other individuals, and to support those individuals that are attempting, trying to bring Israel, the Palestinians, the countries together. Remember I said this last week that Iran, Iran is the problem. Iran is the enemy. Iran is the danger. They are supporting Hezbollah. They're supporting the terrorists. They're creating discord. And they're using the situation in the Middle East to further their own ends. It's Iran. And just look at the history. Read some of the news if you have any questions about that. And so we need to have a strong policy that supports individual Middle East countries. Kosher is a lifestyle. It's also a set of dietary rules. It's not simply a matter of eat this, don't eat that. It's a total commitment to how the food is prepared, how the food is gathered, how the food is presented, and if it's uh, animal, how the animal is slaughtered. And so I follow both the Torah and the Talmud. Both the written law and oral law are part of Judaism. And they both come down to us. And that the Torah, as you all have a copy of that, the first five books of the Bible, uh, not everyone has a Talmud, but it's easily accessed online. Safaria is one of the best, it is the best website, it's a library of Jewish literature, Jewish books, and much is translated into English. So if you have any thoughts or you want to read Talmud, you want to read Mishnah, you want to read Midrash, or any of our legal documents, then go to Safaria. Mm -hmm. That's the place to go. So going back to, to kosher, it's this lifestyle. It has some in the Torah, but the rest is in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the, the main place for learning about the details of keeping kosher. And then the Talmud discusses the Mishnah. What does the Talmud say about Gentiles? It's too broad a subject because we have to talk about specific lines when we say non-Jews. What does it say? Because it depends on whether we're talking about torts or we're talking about religious law. So that makes a difference. So I really can't give you a, a, a single answer because there isn't a single answer. It depends on the specific section as to what's being said about non-Jews. No, the Talmud does not take a stand about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not the Messiah or the Son of God or not. It's not a discussion that shows up in the Talmud. I can't help that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's often that people will bring up that old anti-Semitic charge that the Jews killed Jesus. No, it was the Romans. It was a Roman court, part of the Roman government, part of the system. And again, that's worthy of a full half hour discussion about the intertestamental period 
and the period when Jesus lived and Roman occupation. Mm -hmm. Jesus was born a Jew and died a Jew. I would remind you that on the cross, Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is right out of the book of Psalms. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's also part of our final confession, the Vidui. Jesus born a Jew and he died a Jew. And it's there in the Gospels. It's there in the teachings. Now, the Pharisees, you know, it's really neat to be able to make these blanket charges and, and say things that, no, historically, when we sit back and look. But, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at that in, a, in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. I missed that one. Jesus takes his place with Abraham and Moses and Muhammad as a teacher. And if we like, we can say prophet. You know, prophets aren't about predicting, the, they're not prognosticators. We often take a common definition of prophet and think of them like a weatherman, a woman, a weather person who predicts things happening. Some of the prophets did. Prophets were teachers from God. And they use prediction sometimes in order to emphasize things, to get a point across. But the function of the prophet is to take God's teachings and put them in practical terms. Turn the other cheek. That which is hateful to you, do not do to others. Or do unto others as you like others do unto you. So that's the role of a prophet, to take God's teachings and present them to us, to the people so that we can follow them and do things. So we want to be careful about the common use of being prophetic or telling fortunes. That's a prognosticator. That's a fortune teller. And that's not what, what one of God's prophets. It's a, a job. Um, so Jesus takes his place uh, among Muhammad, among Moses, as a prophet, as a teacher, and different Denominations, different religions will give them different titles and different status. Mm -hmm. No, the Holocaust had no benefit to the Jewish people. What? The Holocaust taught the people jobs that they could get afterwards? No, no. I'm not the governor of Florida. And uh, that's it's a ridiculous kind of a thing to say about slavery. And it's ridiculous to say the Holocaust benefited anyone. In Judaism, the word sin in Hebrew means chet. Well, let's reverse it. The word for sin in Hebrew is chet. Chet means missing the mark. There's no hell in Judaism, not going anywhere. Missing the mark, chet. So when we talk about sin in Judaism, don't think in terms of bad things. Don't think in terms of other definitions. Think of it as simply missing the mark. You know how to behave. God taught us the right way, and we miss the mark. So therefore, we use the word hate. So what would be the worst hate, the worst missing the mark? Hmm. Again, I think that might be worth another full half hour in the coming weeks. I mean, another, another topic. I'm going to write that down. So I, otherwise, I may forget. And I have, I have not read the Quran from cover to cover. 
I have read certain surah. And Billy Joseph, when I studied Arabic, I my Arabic teacher, we we studied the Joseph story in the Quran, and the class was taught from in Hebrew. And I'm very familiar with the Joseph story, and that's but my Arabic is not good, so I could not open up the Quran to any other section. In fact, I don't think I could even read the Joseph story anymore. I quit forty years ago, but I can't now. So, yes, I have read sections of of the Quran, but not from end to end. Rabbi Venus, no, I do not know Rabbi Venus. Yeah, somebody just said, may I ask a question? A lot of people are asking questions. Yes, Judaism and Islam are very close. Judaism and Islam are both more Eastern. Christianity is a Western religion. Having the same teachings, two different audiences. And again, this goes back to God and all his wisdom. God wanted to provide a way for all his creation to come to him, to understand Hashem. And so... We have all the different religions. And Christianity uses more Western philosophy, Western thinking. Judaism and Islam would use more Eastern thoughts and thinking. That's all. Just different, not not better, not worse. We want to be very careful about pinning our faith on artifacts. Whether it's a chalice, whether it's a piece of the original cross, whether it's the Ark of the Covenant. Good caveat. You want to be careful because there are ways to fake things. There are ways to trick us. And we don't want to go looking for artifacts. We want to have a, an understanding of God. Come, we want to come to reach the one through teachings, through conversation with people. But be very careful about basing your faith on if this is the real object or I have to find the object. No, no. Then we run into the problem of of testing and dating and discovering that some of the artifacts aren't artifacts. They're not from the date they claim to be. And if my faith really depends on the authenticity of a thing and it turns out that the thing is not true, not real, what happens to my faith? Mm -mm. Stay away from artifacts. Stay away from artifacts. We're coming up on 8.15. Remember, the holiday... Yeah, it is a holiday, but it's a sad observance. Uh, the 9th of Av, Tesha B'Av, is our national day of mourning. It's a 24-hour fast. And we are to observe the destruction of the first temple. Yes, I'm a Zionist with a small z. And the second temple, and all the evil that is in the world. And the fast begins at 8.30. So I'm going to sign off now, 8.15, to give myself... Time to prepare. Please join me next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And if you like, you can email me your questions in advance. RabbiBlock at Hotmail.com And I'd be glad questions that are sent to me in the email, I will address at the beginning because I'll have them in front of me. Instead of... Oh, the fast is 24 hours... No food, no water. And Yom Kippur is the other day when we have a 24-hour fast. There are some daylight fasts in Judaism, but we'll talk about that another time. 
I want to say good evening and may you have a healthy and safe fast. Good night, everyone.